Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. Thanks for having me today. Before I start, I wanted to check, does everybody have a phone or a computer or a personal, other personal device with them? Because you'll be needing them a little later. So I just wanted to kind of prepare you for that. It'll be very brief. So for those of you who I don't know, I joined the ODI in September last year. And one of the first things that I was tasked with was the creation of our open data roadmap for the UK. We launched it in December last year, but it is a roadmap for 2015 and beyond. And we produced it with the upcoming general election in mind, that a lot of activity has gone on around open data over the last decade in the UK. And with a new government coming in, whomever that is, what can we do next? How can we continue to maintain momentum? There are physical copies of the roadmap outside for anybody who doesn't have one. And for those listening online, you can find it at the ODI.org roadmap hyphen UK hyphen 2015. But if you go to the ODI website, it's also on the homepage. So uh, the Open Data Roadmap, the way that we came up with the Open Data Roadmap was first through a series of internal discussions with our members, our startups. We then extended that to stakeholders in the open data community. We didn't share it publicly yet because we wanted to make sure that we had our own vision for what open data should look like. Finally, in December 2014, we launched this high-level document that now we're continuing to expand on, get feedback on, uh, develop implementation briefings for over the next six months. So this is still very much kind of a starting point. It's not set in stone, and we want to continue to build on it. So if you have feedback, please talk to me about it. So when we launched the Open Data Roadmap in December, Francis Maud spoke at an Institute for Government event, which they were kind enough to let us launch the roadmap alongside. And in speaking about why the coalition government embraced open data they, he put it in the context of the deficit facing the UK. So he said, for those online, we needed it as our friend, actually, because we faced the biggest budget deficit in the developed world and we were coming out of the deepest recession. And we needed to cut spending and transparency as your friend when you start doing difficult things with departmental budgets. And this was seen as like a, a real incentive for the coalition government, but they have not been the only government to have uh, made great advances with open data. In the roadmap, we talk a little about the achievements of the Blair government and the Brown government before this coalition government doing things like the launch of data.gov.uk, the introduction of the open government licence, and now the transparency agenda that uh, Prime Minister Cameron has set out for the coalition. So this has been a bipartisan uh, objective for a number of governments. And that's something that has kind of given us this really great context within which to build on this because all sides of politics have an interest. So when we were thinking about open data, we, we always talk about open data and its impacts in a number of ways. You might have heard about the triple bottom line, the, um, the, the social, economic and environmental impacts of open data. So we talk about innovation, how open data can help contribute to new business models, So, for example, in the latest ODI annual report, we mentioned that the ODI startup cohorts now employ over 70 million people and have generated over £4 million in income and investment. And so so one of the incentives that we delivered was the generation of new business models. We also talk about open data in the context of cost efficiencies and savings. 
So one of our early case studies looked at the savings to be found from analysing open data about GP prescription practices. A uh, study done by Ben Goldacre and Mastodon C found that over £200 million in potential savings could be found if GPs prescribed uh, generic drugs instead of patented pharmaceuticals. We also talk about the benefits of open data for civic engagement. So They Work For You, for example, uh, uses open data, the uh, content from parliament.gov.uk that's licensed under the Open Parliament licence, to um, give us information about what our MPs are doing. We can access debates, written answers, and see what's coming up in Parliament. So that was another um, angle that we've used to discuss the benefits of open data. Uh, something that's been particularly emotive in the UK has been how open data can be used for disaster uh, response. So uh, in the roadmap, we talk about the ways in which uh, data about floods is being used to better plan responses to natural disasters in the UK. We also talk about the ways in which open street map data was used during the Haiti earthquake and during the Philippines tsunami to help respond and direct uh, responses. It can also help inform culture. Data can tell you about how we react and engage with each other. So the next ODI Culture and Heritage Challenge asks the question, how can we use open data to engage more people and more diverse people in UK heritage and culture? And I know Beyonce is not from the UK, but I have this sneaking suspicion that she is the common thread that holds us all together. Um, (laughs) So... We, we had all of this content to draw from. We had the history, the, the progress that has been made by previous governments. We have these stories of impact that are emerging. So this was the kind of the melting pot from which we now try to generate a roadmap for open data. And I think it can really be summed up in terms of the thrust of the roadmap in that one statement, which was we've stimulated a range of activities around open data. We've done a lot of case studies. We're starting, we've kind of planted a thousand seeds And now is the time to connect and focus these activities. So that was the kind of thrust through which we developed our recommendations. Something that we really had to wind back from very quickly was we started off going into way too much detail. We really focused on the kind of data standards that uh, we recommend government adopt. We looked at things like non-proprietary identifiers. uh, And we realised that that was getting too far into the granular detail for a political audience. We wanted this to be a high-level roadmap that kind of anyone could come to with a basic understanding of open data and, and see the steps that could be taken However, that said, it doesn't mean that we've neglected the detail because, as I mentioned at the beginning, we will expand on this with implementation briefings so that if somebody wants to ask, you know, what data do you think that we should release next, we can have a briefing note on, you know, these are the 10 data sets that we think you should prioritise for release as open data. So this is merely the starting point. And I realise that's kind of rubbish quality, but for those who haven't seen the roadmap before, and there are copies of it outside... We came up with nine steps that, because we like to do things in neat threes, we separated into three categories. So the first kind of theme is that we need to continue to build a coherent data strategy. 
So, for example, we mentioned the need to embed open data within a wider all-of-data strategy for the UK. Because at the moment, if you kind of map data policy across central government particularly, it's split into different departments. Data protection is dealt with by the Information Commissioner's Office. IP rights in data are dealt with by the Ministry of Justice. Within the Cabinet Office, you have three teams dealing with open data, data sharing, and data science, I think, is the third one. So you've got all of these different aspects of data policy being discussed, but we now think we need to bring all of these together and put them in one place in the Cabinet Office. Secondly, we mentioned the need for strategic leadership for data, to appoint a chief data officer for government to oversee the data strategy. And this is part of a wider trend that we're seeing. So France appointed a chief data officer last year, and we also noticed that just last week the US appointed a chief data scientist for US government data and that was DJ Patil. So we are seeing this kind of recognition of the need for strategic leadership around data. Um, as part of the chief data officer's role, specifically for open data, we suggested that the chief data officer have the ability to compel the release of data as open data where it's kind of clearly in the public interest to do so. So it's not only a leadership and a best practice um, like somebody who is a visionary and ambassador for data for the UK government, but also has some teeth so that they can ensure the government continues to meet its objectives with open data. And the third thing was to build data publication into all government digital services. At the moment, we have data.gov.uk that houses some of our, or quite a lot of the data that's being published by departments as open data. You also have some data that's being published straight through gov.uk. And we uh, propose that the government digital service be supported to invest in a high-quality data publishing platform for government. Um, and, and that is kind of another aspect that we think is part of this op coherent open data strategy. The second kind of theme is about how can we generate greater social, environmental and economic impact. So we talk about supporting UK trading funds to release more data as open data. We talk about geospatial data, for example, in the roadmap. And we reference, for example, the, uh, the economic impact felt from the release in Denmark of the national address file there, which they, I think, uh, indicated that after releasing the national address file as open data, it generated a three-to-one return on investment. Um, it's a little late here for the release of the national postcode file as open data, but it's that kind of core key value data that we'd like to see released as open data. We also reference the National Information Infrastructure, which has been discussed a lot in the last kind of... Uh, it's actually been uh, a topic of discussion since mid-2013, but just in the last three months it's getting a lot more attention because data.gov.uk is working on the next iteration of the National Information Infrastructure. What this is, is it is intended to be this strategic framework for data. When they first started working on the National Information Infrastructure, it really appeared more like a static list of data assets. It was departments being asked to identify their own um, data that they would deem as kind of of core value and kind of self-promote that through the National Information Infrastructure. And now they're trying to make that a much more meaningful framework, more than a static list of data, uh, to underpin our progress on open data. And we think there's a lot of value in it. We just need to continue to work on how we can improve and expand and uh, enhance the national information infrastructure to support this. 
And finally, we mentioned the including of the release of open data in government procurement contracts, because where a contract is being undertaken with public funding, we ask <coughs> that uh, data that's generated as part of the provision of that service be released as open data. And then finally, our uh, last three uh, points kind of fall under the heading of support for more reuse of data. So we looked at, well, what are the strategy, what's the framework that you need to have in place to incentivize all of this activity? Then how do you make sure that we're releasing out um, data that has greatest potential impact? And then thirdly, how do we um, how do we realize this impact? So the third theme is all about data training, not only for government, but industry and people. Uh, we also talk about incentives for government to consume open data, not just publish it. And finally, to connect research and development frameworks to open data, which we're already seeing in some sectors, you know, that publicly funded research, as part of publicly funded research, the results should be released as open data. Um, so, for example, I think in the UK now, scientific research, there is a requirement that publicly funded scientific research be published under an open access license. I see Sam nodding. I'm going to take Sam's word for it. Good. Um, so this is another kind of aspect of our roadmap. I should say, I, I say like there has been um, all of this information behind it, but if you pick up the roadmap, you'll see it's only eight or nine pages long. That's because we really tried to bring it back down to something high level, simple enough for anybody to flip through. But there has been a lot of thinking behind each of these points. What we're going to be doing next is picking up some of these points to expand on in more detail, and I'll go into that in a little bit. What I wanted to do now, though, is get you to take your devices, because there's a couple of questions that I'm really interested in your feedback on. They're multiple choice questions, so it shouldn't take more than two minutes. And then hopefully, if I do this right, we can look at what our thoughts are. But if you just go to this link, so really all you need to... Um, remember or, or be confused by is the six letters at the end. It just asks three simple questions about the uh, open data roadmap. Uh, all right. So the only the, the reason I wanted to do this was hopefully so you could generate uh, a little discussion about it. But I also wanted to tease out whether people thought there was a difference between what they thought was most important to achieve in terms of to generate impact and whether this differed from what would be a quick win, what would be easiest for government to implement. But it seems as though, for the most part, if I scroll down, the what uh, is thought as being most important actually corresponds with what could be a quick win, which is the appointment of a chief data officer. Uh, I'm wondering if anyone disagrees with that or, or has any... Which do you think is least important or you disagree with is a chief data officer for government? So, so would anyone like to volunteer their thoughts on a chief data officer for the UK government if you thought that was one of the least important? Yeah. I, I think it would depend on um, who it is who does it and what they're coming in and having seen something similar in the NHS. It's kind of helpful, but it's not actually doing anything that you think it would be. Appointing a particular person, that wasn't me. Um, could get there, but it's a case of you need to know who that person is and have that in that conversation. So do you feel like that, because you're talking about the National Data Guardian for Health and Social Care. I was, I was thinking the NHS Chief Data Officer. Oh, okay. And the fact that nobody knows who that is and what they do right. is part of the yeah. One of the um, 
discussion points that we're looking into at the moment is we are uncovering that some departments already have chief data officers. So I think I've heard Ministry of Justice has a chief data officer, and now I hear that NHS has a chief data officer, whereas I knew about the National Data Guardian, which was the appointment last year, um, and how we would be able to link all of these together. So it's definitely part of the complexity. Um, If we go back up to... Um, A government data publishing platform delivered by GDS is also something that people valued very highly. I wonder if, does anyone have comments on the existing uh, way in which data is published across data.gov.uk that makes them think that uh, kind of further investment is needed? Yes? Um, Data.gov.uk is not a publishing platform. Right, it's it's just a portal. A set of links to existing data and many government uh, departments actually don't know where to put the data they want to publish. Right. So a proper platform would be really useful. Yeah. Any other comments? One of the biggest challenges, uh, you know, we've seen is the clean security of the data in many aspects, and, and the ability to reverse engineer that data. So you know, we I work for the Bank of England, so you know, we love to publish more data, but it's quite tricky because you can't afford to be in a position where somebody can reverse engineer some of it and you'll be amazed what big data can do in the analytics space, data science, to mm-hmm. reverse engineer some of the uh, data sets. So that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Not, an, ex- not a, an excuse, but a challenge. Right. What about um, things that we thought were least important? Because I think the what could be a general quick win for the next government was part of the reason we focused on the chief data officer first. Whether that will be an effective position is something that requires a lot of thought. How easy it would be to create a position, appoint somebody as chief data officer and declare that they have responsibility for the UK's data strategy is something that can be done relatively quickly, but it's how we can make that a meaningful position that's important. But what about... um, other things that we disagreed with. So actually, most of you didn't disagree with any of them, which is slightly disappointing. I was hoping I'd get a lot of real pushback, cynicism maybe. Um, But the only other ones that... The investment in the national information infrastructure as a strategic framework, and only one person voted for it, so, so I'd be really putting you on the spot if I asked you to talk about it. And you can stay quiet if you don't want to talk about it. Fair enough. I think we will do, hopefully, a lunchtime lecture that discusses the national information infrastructure further later in the year, but I'm still talking... uh, Open Data User Group just put out their own discussion paper on the national information infrastructure a couple of weeks ago, and data.gov.uk is also following up on their recent consultation. So that is still very much an evolving space. Mm. And what recommendations would you add... Appoint Taylor Swift as CDO. I couldn't agree more after the way that she handled that recent hacking experience with a zinging tweet. Haters gonna, hackers gonna hack, 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 hack. She is gonna have equally zingy one-liners for any data problems in the UK. <laughs> and improve standardisation across local government. It's so. This is something that we reference in the roadmap, as in that. All of the aspects of our data strategy should not just apply to central government. It needs to extend across local government as well, be applicable for devolved governments. But one thing that we've only just recently noticed from, well, have always been aware of, but are really just understanding the the, um, layers of complexity involved in this is, you know, how we can actually 
um, standardize some of these suggestions across both central and local government. So chief data officer, for example, we reference a chief data officer for the UK public sector, but, but the extent of their role in terms of as it applies to central government versus local government has ignited a lot of debate. We've had people say to us, well, for local government, all they, the extent of their role should be community engagement and support building because they're independent from central government and they don't have to comply with anything that the chief data officer says. So we talk a lot about connecting up our data strategy with local government, but I recognise the complexity that's there. I wonder if anybody here has examples of where we have been successfully able to standardise something for local government as well. Maybe not even in the area of data policy, but just examples of government policy that have originated with central government but have kind of become standard in their implementation for local government as well. I ask this because I simply don't know. But maybe this is something that we're still working on in several areas of policy. So we are, that's an area that we're really interested in looking more at and perhaps doing a further discussion on it later this year is like in, in what ways should we perhaps take a couple of um, bigger local authorities as test cases for how we could um, standardise um, not only the way in which they publish data but the type of data that they publish and then go from there and try and expand that outwards or, or is this a simple kind of community engagement one by one exercise we're really open to any and all suggestions. So let me just go back to my slides. So what happens next? Um, a lot, unfortunately, because when I published it, I was like, Phew, it's Christmas and I can go on holidays. But what... So the first thing that we're doing is we're doing three roadmap workshops in first quarter. So we actually held our first one this week what these workshops are doing is they're bringing together, uh, they're, they're closed workshops, but they're bringing together people in um, some of the fields who are affected or, or have experience with these types of um, change or, or transformation policies. And then we release the briefing note from that for public comment to get feedback on, to continue to edit and iterate until we have something that we would be really happy to present to whomever takes government and says, well, you say that we need to do X, but give us the instructions on how to do that. So the Chief Data Officer Workshop we held on, on Monday this week, we looked, at, we looked at questions like, what background should a CDO have? Should they be predominantly from the private sector or public sector? Interestingly, I don't know if it's because everybody was very nice or because they honestly don't think there's a difference, but it really... that the background that they had was not so much a concern as their experience with transformation. So everybody was like, it doesn't matter whether they're private or public sector, but they should have a proven track record of this kind of transformation of complex systems. We also asked questions like how would they relate to local government? Um, what should they focus on in their first 100 days as CDO? Um, and we'll publish this hopefully early next week. It won't be a this is what everybody has agreed on is the way forward because there was a lot of disagreement around things like, you know, uh, a data audit. Some people think that the CDO, first thing they should do is undertake a data audit to uh, identify the range of data assets across central government, whereas others thought, well, this could be done, this could be contracted out to somebody else, whether the CDO should make his first focus understanding everything that we have. They thought he should have other 
objectives. So there was a lot of debate around things like what the CDO's priority should be and the kind of in, the kind of role that this is. Is this an operational role? Are they getting their hands dirty? Are they looking under the hood and trying to put together these varied systems of data publication and management across government? Or is this more of an ambassador role, a kind of political role, engaging in the political discussions around data, like personal data, data sharing, etc.? So uh, hopefully that will generate a lot of discussion when it's published next week. The second one that we're looking at is a connected up data strategy for the UK. So we'll simply map all of the different strands of data policy in various departments and try to propose a potential, you know, this is how, you know, this is where it should be located. These are the resources that you need to attach to it. This is the ministry within which leadership should be. Um, so they would be connected to the CDO. Uh, and and these, these are the areas of policy that we think can no longer be outliers. 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 Outliers? Outliers. <laughs> I have been schooled on so much grammar and pronunciation <laughs> since I can only say that in the Southern Hemisphere we speak differently. Although anyone that's from Australia <laughs> would probably be just outraged by my pronunciation of outliers. Um, and the third one is on uh, incentives for government to consume data. So how can we change institutional behaviour to use more of their own data? How can you raise awareness within, say, the Ministry of Justice of the kind of data that could be really helpful for them in um, in Department of Health, depending on the kind of policy area that they're working with? From these, once we've not only done an initial discussion workshop, published these as briefing notes and gotten a lot of feedback and debate, we'll they will be the final implementation brief. So that means that um, whomever is in government post-May 2015, we can say that not only have we done a high-level roadmap, but we've started thinking in more detail about how we can actually move this forward. And finally, political engagement, raising awareness of the importance of open data to the UK, particularly, uh, Phil mentioned at the beginning, we put this in the context of the next decade, the challenges facing the UK, not only in terms of the deficit, but things like population growth, um, increased climate instability, and how open data could help address some of these challenges. So that will be a focus as well. Um, the, I think that was all I wanted to say about how we came up with the roadmap and the priorities. Do you have any questions? You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.